Welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it up. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. Good morning, my name is Matt Rosenberg. I'm a uh, rabbi from uh, Seattle, a congregation called Restoration. And Pastor Dow started series last week with Rooted in Community. I'm going to talk about what it means to be rooted in prayer. Before I do, I just want to make sure you know that my sneakers are not Green Bay Packer colors. They, uh, I, my wife gave me these for Christmas, and I texted Pastor Sean because I was very excited, and I said, these are not Green Bay colors. And he said, actually, technically, they're called the Seattle Supersonics. And I was like, yes! No? Okay. But... May, the Seattle Supersonics are dead. May they rise from the dead again. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Um, where I connect with Pastor Sonny is uh, I have to use her podium because it's for short people. <laughs> I, I have great affection for your pastors, not just Sean and Sonny, but Dallas and Keith and Becky and all of your pastors are just wonderful friends and um, really exceptional people. So we're going to talk about what it means to be rooted in prayer. This is what God said in Psalm 91, verse 15. He said, when he calls on me, I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble, rescue him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So I want you to, I want to give you some background on the importance of prayer in Judaism. And in Judaism, we define prayer from that verse. The definition of prayer is speak to me and I will listen. When we speak, God listens. Prayer is not about changing God or changing God's mind. Prayer is about changing you. And in in Jewish prayer, Hebrew liturgy is a major part of our prayer. And almost all of the Hebrew chanting and the liturgy that we say comes directly from the scriptures. There's something about praying prayers that are 4,000 years old that God told us to pray. It it connects us to the history of the Jewish people. It connects us to uh, the history of what God has done for the people of God. And as we pray these scriptures, we find there are all kinds of commandments even within those prayers. A starting point for Jewish prayer is a prayer called the Shema. It's found in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. We say the Shema every morning and every evening um, in home and in synagogue. It starts like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Most of the names of the prayers that we pray are typically the first word in Hebrew of that prayer. So the word, uh, first word of the Shema in English is here. Um, there's a great series by the Bible Project um, online um, where they do a word study of the Shema. There's six different videos. There's five, they're five minutes each. If you've never seen them, um, I encourage you to go and watch them because there's tons of wonderful information. 
And one of the things they talk about in those videos is that we read modern concepts into ancient words. The difficulty is we don't understand the ancient words or how they were understood when they were spoken, like the Shema being about 4,000 years ago. And it's important to understand the ancient meaning so that we can apply it to our modern lives. So the word Shema in Hebrew, often words don't just mean one thing, they mean many things. And the word Shema is used hundreds of times in the Hebrew Bible. It can mean hear, it can also mean listen. The Shema, uh, word Shema can also mean pay attention because there isn't actually a separate word in ancient Hebrew for listen and pay attention. Those aren't two different words. It's just the word Shema. It's sort of what we say to our kids. I don't know if this happens to you, but I'll say I need you to vacuum the living room. Did you hear me? Yes, I heard you. Well, then why haven't you done it yet? Because if you heard me, then you would have done it. You can tell me you've heard me, but if you didn't do what I said, then I question whether you actually heard me at all. Which is why the word Shema uh, actually is well similar to the old adage, two ears, uh, we were created with two ears and one mouth. Which means we're supposed to listen twice as much as we speak, which is tough for someone who speaks for a living. And my family often reminds me of that. If you listen and pay attention, you're likely to do something about what you've heard. Which is why the word Shema also means respond and obey. You know, in ancient Hebrew, there's no word for obey except the word Shema. So when we read it in English, it it doesn't just mean hear, O Israel, as in listen to what I'm saying. It implies listening and doing. The prophets even use the word Shema when they pray to God. They say that God should Shema us that he would hear us and do what we're, respond to what we're saying. That's why the word Shema, I think, actually means listen and obey. It's not just hear. It's hear and listen and do, because it's all in the same word. So when it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it doesn't just say, hear, O Israel. It says, hear, listen, pay attention, and obey what I'm saying. O Israel. So then what comes next, we call the Ve'ahavta in Deuteronomy chapter six and verse five. It says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And these words which I'm commanding you today are to be on your heart. So what we're supposed to do when we listen and obey is we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul and all of our strength. The word love in Hebrew is ahava, and God is love. It's a part of his character to love his creation. There is no one on this planet that he doesn't love because he made you as a son or a daughter. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how much you've told him you don't want him in your life. He loves because it would be against his character not to. God is love. It's why John says in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, he says, we love because he first loved us. There's uh, Israel in the story of the scriptures, the children of Israel did nothing to earn God's love. 
And in the same way, there's nothing you can do to earn God's love or even to earn more of God's love. Love is a part of who he is. And so when we listen and obey, he expects us to love him back. And it says our heart, soul, and strength. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The problem is, that's not what those words mean in Hebrew. In Hebrew, the heart is actually the mind. Because in ancient Israel, they attributed all kinds of things to the heart, or sometimes the kidneys in Hebrew, actually, that that we understand as the brain. So it was the center of emotion and decision-making. It was the center of imagination. Like everything came from your heart as they understood it. But we know all of it comes from the brain. So when God says love with all of your heart, he's saying love with all of your mind. And then the word soul is very unfortunate because soul actually means body. The word nefesh in Hebrew, which is translated as soul, and the King James Version in 1611 took the uh, Hebrew word nefesh and translated it as soul. The problem is, get ready, this is going to hurt. Nowhere in the Bible does it say your soul leaves your body. That idea comes from Plato. And when they translated in English to soul, people started to apply. In both Judaism and Christianity, they applied the ideas of Plato to the Bible, but the word soul is actually nefesh, and the word nefesh literally means throat. The reason why it means throat is because the throat is how everything gets into the body. In in Hebrew, you would call a living person, a living animal, a living being. You call them a living nefesh. We call a corpse a dead nefesh, a dead body. It's actually to love the Lord your God with all of your mind and all of your body. And then the word strength doesn't actually mean strength. It means everything else. Or Tim Mackey says it means muchness. It's the word me'od in Hebrew. And the word me'od just means very. If you want to emphasize something in Hebrew, you say me'od, me'od. Very, very. It's kind of like how Donald Trump talks. It's like the very, very best. I'm like the very, very. It's all the very, very best. He's just saying the word me'od again and again. So we are to listen and obey and to love the Lord your God with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with everything else you have within you. It's why being rooted in prayer is so important because our prayer is a function of this love God has for us and the love that we return to him. So in Judaism, we define prayer as speak to me and I will listen. When you speak, God listens. I know it doesn't feel like it, all of the time. But when you speak, God listens because prayer isn't designed to change God or to change God's mind. It's designed to change you. The more we shema, the more we listen and obey, the more we understand. But here's the problem. You can't listen and obey if you don't read the Bible for yourself. The Bible is what God said. If you don't know the history of what God said, then you're not going to be able to hear what he's saying. You have to read the scriptures for yourself. You have to uh, uh, know what you're supposed to be listening to and what God is asking you to do according to the scriptures. So when we listen and obey, the Ve'ahavta continues in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. 
tells us what to do. You're to teach them diligently to your children and speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You will bind them as a sign on your hand and they're to be as frontlets between your eyes and write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Here's how all of that breaks down in simple terms. We are supposed to teach, speak, bind, and write. Teach, speak, bind, write. Teach, speak, bind, write the scriptures on our hearts and on our minds. So these are part of the elements of Jewish prayer is we're supposed to teach, speak, bind, and write the commandments on our hearts. Why do we bind the commandments to our hands? Well, your hand is what you write with. And also in your hand is an artery that goes straight to your heart. Why do we bind them on the frontlets of our eyes? Because our eyes are the entrance to the brain. And everything we see is processed through the brain. So if we bind and we write, it has to do with our eyes and with our brain and with our hand and with our heart. In in Judaism, there's a tradition called tefillin, um, which is a box that you have on your arm when you pray, and it's wrapped around your arm with leather. And inside that box is this very scripture, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. And then there's another one we put on our heads and we tie it uh, on uh, our heads. And that box has the same. It's a scroll in Hebrew that has those verses in it to literally bind them to our heart, to our uh, hand and our eyes. What happens if you're blind or deaf? Well, it's really the same story because when one of your um, senses doesn't work the way it's designed, other senses fill in the gap. Plus, there's no limits in the world we live in because of technology that everybody, no matter what has happened in your life, everyone can figure out how to teach, speak, bind, and write the scriptures on your own hearts. Why do we bind them on our doorposts and on our gates? There's, uh, it's called a mezuzah, and it's, the same, it's like a little box. It has the same scroll in it with the Hebrew written out that we put on every door of our house and on our gates. Why? Because we walk through those doors every day. And we're supposed to be reminded of the commandments when we walk through those doors. In Jewish tradition, the only room that doesn't have a mezuzah on it is the bathroom. I mean, for kind of obvious reasons. Although the older I get, the more I feel like that would be the most important room for prayer. So I feel like we should put it on that door too. So this idea of the Shema is that we listen and obey. How do we listen and obey? Well, we have to teach, speak, bind, and write the commandments on our hearts. We are actively loving God by listening and doing what he asks us to do, to teach, speak, bind, and write, to know the Bible, to read the Bible, to write verses down as you read, to have um, them memorize, to start memorizing scripture, to sing songs that have scriptures in it, because it's easier to remember a song than it is to memorize a verse. Tell the stories of the scripture, not just to children, but all of the time. My, My friend Preston Morrison calls it being scripturally obese. You have to be fat in the word of God. Like it's a part of our daily bread and our, like our lives depend on the consumption of the scriptures for ourselves. There's this individual aspect of reading for ourselves and praying for ourselves when we're rooted in prayer, but there's also a communal aspect. You do pray alone and you should pray alone, but you're also designed to pray with other people. 
when Pastor Dallas gave a great message of being rooted in community because everything we do is not only designed for the individual, it's also designed for corporate expression. That in order to listen and obey to what the scriptures say, we have to understand it individually and within community with other people who help us understand. And I'm not saying be a weirdo. I'm not saying quote the Bible in every conversation. Well, you know, the word of the Lord says. (laughs) But it's supposed to be, look, it's not so everyone else can know how scripturally obese you are. It's to have the word on your mind and on your heart. It's why we gather to pray together in weekend services like this. That's why we gather in groups with people during the week. We put ourselves in places to teach, speak, bind, and write. Teach, speak, bind, and write the commandments on our hearts and our minds. That's why we pray these words twice a day. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words which I'm commanding you today are to be on your heart. You should teach them diligently to your children and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You bind them as a sign on your hand and they'll be as frontlets between your eyes and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I started with Psalm 91 verse 15. When he calls on me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and rescue him and honor him with long life Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Prayer is defined as speak to me and I will listen. It doesn't say speak to me and I'll give you the answer you want. It says speak to me and I will listen because prayer isn't supposed to change God or change God's mind. Prayer is designed to change you so that when you call, he answers. Every time you call on him, he answers. My dad is hyperactive like I am and very distracted all of the time. And years ago, I said to my dad, um, it, you know, when I, like when I call, you don't answer because you're probably sharing the Lord with somebody and busy. So my dad determined years ago that he would answer every time I call. And it gets kind of annoying because he's like, yes, son, sorry, I'm sharing somebody, uh, I'm sharing the Lord with somebody in the line at Starbucks, um, but you called, so I wanted to answer. Okay, well, call me back. Also, I'm old, so I do this. The kids do this these days because that's how phones work now. But that's how God works. When you call, he answers. When you call on him, he answers. And you can't understand what he's saying unless you know what he already said in the scriptures. If you need a football reference, because this is Green Bay to remember it, I'll say prayer this way. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. That's how we define prayer. I mean, Friday Night Lights, yes. But clear heart, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. There's another Hebrew liturgy called the Amidah, and the Amidah is called the standing prayer. And the basic structure of the Amidah is three parts. Those three parts break into 18 different blessings. Uh, The three parts of Jewish prayer, according to the Amidah, is adoration, petition, and gratitude. Prayer begins with adoration. Then we make requests, petitions, and then we give gratitude because God heard our prayers. Uh, The Amidah actually breaks down to 18 different blessings. It's 
It's rather long. And those three paragraphs, there's first, there's three paragraphs of adoration. Then there's 13 paragraphs of petition. And then there's another three of gratitude. And this basic structure of prayer within Jewish prayer is believed to be 200 years older than Jesus which means Jesus and his disciples, as Jewish people, used this same pattern in prayer. It's maybe you know it as the Lord's Prayer because the Lord said it, but the Lord's Prayer that he was saying was actually an abbreviation of a longer prayer called the Amidah. It wasn't a new prayer. It wasn't a prayer that his disciples didn't know. It was the abbreviation of these three things, adoration, petition, and gratitude. And Yeshua is not the only rabbi from the first century to uh, condense the Lord's, uh, to condense the Amidah into a shorter version. Other rabbis did the same thing, like Rabbi Eliezer, who said, well, when, okay, if you don't have time to pray all 18 prayers, perhaps because you're about to be attacked by a wild animal, or you're going to be robbed on the highway, there's very different issues back then. Um, Although being attacked by a wild animal may be like a Bears fan. But the, I was hoping you guys were going to laugh more than the last service. But I didn't tell you that up front. But Rabbi Eliezer said this. He said, when you don't have time to pray all 18 parts of the Amidah, just pray something like this. Your will be done in heaven above and gives ease of mind to them that fear you on earth below. And what is good in your eyes, execute. Blessed be you, O eternal, who hears our prayer. Well, what does that sound like? It sounds like the Lord's Prayer that Jesus said to his disciples. I've heard so many sermons and read so many commentaries that make it sound like the disciples did not know how to pray. Like they had no idea. So they had to ask Jesus, how should we pray? And then he came up with this amazing, new, wonderful statement. And they were like, well, that's good. We should call it the Lord's Prayer. But that's not actually what happens. In fact, Luke 11 and verse 1, it says it this way. Now, Yeshua was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Master, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Well, it sounds like they don't know how, unless you have some context. And the context is the relationship between a rabbi and his students. These were Jewish men who grew up praying their entire lives, and they probably prayed this pattern of the Amidah like everyone else in the first century in Israel. But when you put yourself under a rabbi and you become his student, you do things the way he says to do them. You shema what your rabbi says. And so it's not like they're saying, we don't know how to pray because we've never prayed before. And he's like, oh, I got this idea. Pray like this. No, rather, he's saying, listen and obey from the Shema. And the question is more like this. We know how to pray because we've been praying the Shema and the Amidah our entire lives. But you are our rabbi and we are your students. Just like John is the rabbi of his students and told them what to pray. So how do you want us to Shema? How do you want us to listen and obey? How do you want us to pray as our rabbi? And Yeshua answered with a summary of a prayer they already knew. Because the answer was simple. Well, you already know how to pray. Just keep doing that. So verse 2, Luke 11, verse 2, it says, Yeshua said, when you pray, say, Father, sanctified be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. 
you know, in different traditions, people, you, you like have to say the Lord's prayer and they, they say the Lord's prayer this many times and do that. And you like repeat it exactly the way it was said, but that wasn't the point of what Jesus was saying. He was saying a pattern that was familiar to them. He, he was talking about the basic structure of the Amidah, which is also the Lord's prayer. And the basic structure is adoration, petition, and gratitude. You don't start prayer with, I need help. I mean, unless a wild animal is attacking you. You start prayer with adoration. Adoration is who God is. It's why most prayers in Judaism begin with, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. Because you start with who God is. And the recognition that you're nowhere close to that. And so we say things when we pray like the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who freed our, your children of Israel from Egypt and parted the Sea of Reeds, the, the God who showed up on the mountain to Moses and gave him the commandments, the God who sent his son to die for our sins and to rise from the dead. It's very clear who you're speaking to when you give the details of who you're speaking to. In some liturgy, we say, Avinu Malkenu, our father and our king. Yes. It's how you start with adoration, celebration of who he is. And it doesn't have to be flowery and it doesn't have to be long. And for goodness sake, it does not have to be in old English. <laughs> if you say thine, God's not like, I love thy, some thy, me, that. I don't know. I can't do it. Adoration. The second is petition. Petition is request. There are personal requests and there's corporate requests. You're supposed to not just pray for yourself. You're supposed to pray for your family. You're not just supposed to pray for your family. You're supposed to pray for the city you live in. You're not just supposed to pray for the city you live in. You're supposed to pray along with others who are also praying. So you pray for your family's needs. You pray for your city's needs, like maybe a new quarterback. Or you pray for... Too soon? You pray. <laughs> Supersonics. You pray for your church. You pray for your pastors. You pray for the needs, not just of yourself, but for the community you're a part of. And then when we do adoration and petition, we end with gratitude for what he's done in the past, what he's doing in the present, and what he will do in the future. There's a gratefulness that he hears our prayers. In fact, the rabbis say that we should end our prayers with this statement. And thank you for hearing my prayers. Not because God hears it and goes, oh, he said, thank you one more time. And so now I heard him. No, it's a reminder for us that at the end of our prayers, we say, and I know you heard me. Thank you. And you're probably not going to do exactly what I want, but thank you that when I call on you, you answer. One of my favorite Hebrew liturgies is called the Shehecheanu, and we say it at weddings, we say it at, uh, we say it at um, holidays, we say it at joyous occasions, like the end of the winter, which for the love of God, could I be invited here in the summer? <laughs> Instead of January, but... <laughs> One of our prayers of gratitude is this in English. It says, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, 
who has given us life, sustained us, and brought us to this happy season. What if I'm not in a happy season? Well, you don't have to fake it, but the season you're in is probably something God brought you to also. And he wants you to listen and obey. And so we thank God for the happy seasons. We thank God for the difficult seasons. We thank God all the time because he's doing more in you than you could ever imagine. And it hurts often. In Hebrew, we chant it like this. Baruch Eloheinu melech olam shehehanu vekiyamanu vegiyano lazaman Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us life, sustained us, and brought us to this happy season. It's what it means to be rooted in prayer. It's why when I think about the word hallelujah, which in Hebrew just means to praise God. You know, there's like the Pentecostal hallelujah. I grew up Pentecostal, so, you know, we do the hallelujah. There's also what Leonard Cohen calls cold and broken hallelujahs. There's like times when we, we don't feel like God's listening or, or we don't really know what to say that we just. Hallelujah. It's all I got. And it's hard to even say because I don't feel like you're listening. But the cold and broken hallelujahs are just as important as the happy. It's this structure in prayer. The Shema teaches us that we teach, speak, bind, and write the scriptures. We sing songs from the Bible. We memorize the scriptures. We write it out on cards. Take out your phone and copy your favorite verses in your notes. You read it. You teach it. You speak it. And you write it. It's what it means to listen and obey. And then when you pray, I encourage you, and and this isn't the only formula, this isn't the correct formula, it's just a formula that comes from the Amidah and the Lord's Prayer, uh, that when we pray, we pray with adoration, petition, and gratitude. We thank God for who he is. We make requests, both individual and corporate, and we end with gratitude. Thank you for hearing my prayers, because I don't feel like you would do but you promised that if I call on you, you'll answer. So I'm gonna trust that. For those of you who don't have a prayer life or are looking for a rhythm in your prayer life, I'll just, I'll just give you a, a simple pattern um, that I use. First, I begin with silence. And I talked to somebody in the middle of the service. They said, yeah, silence is good, but my brain is always racing and it's hard for me to come back to the silence. And I said, look, mine too. That's why I have a to-do list in my phone and the things that are racing, I just write them down real quick and then I go back to silence. Because if I don't write them down, I'm gonna forget. That's what I'm worried about. If 
I write them down, I can come back to them. But you open with silence because silence is how you listen and obey. You should listen before you speak. Then we open with adoration. Lord God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. However, there's all kinds of ways you can do it. You just start with who God is. Then part of prayer for me is you read the Bible. Whether it's a, a few verses from the Torah or the Psalms or the Gospels, it doesn't matter. Just read and reread and keep reading. The, part of the dilemma is Jewish people, uh, most Jewish people who don't believe in Jesus have never read the New Testament. And most Christians who say they believe in Jesus and live by the Bible have never read the Old Testament. So the majority of people who say they live by the word of God have never read the whole thing, even once. How can we hear what God is saying if we've never read it? I'm supposed to keep reading it. So you read the scripture as part of your prayer. Then you can take a journal or a piece of paper and, or your phone and just write a simple prayer. Just write what you're praying for that day. It's amazing because if you, if you save those and go back, you also have a record of what God did. I remember that season and man, did God answer my prayers. Then I encourage you to slowly prayer, uh, to, to slowly pray prayers like in English, the Shema, Amidah, the Lord's Prayer, and plenty of others. You know, there's prayers that different people, like sometimes I take some of the prayers of like uh, C.S. Lewis or, or the prayers of uh, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I just pray their prayers because, well, they said it better than I could, and it just helps to just pray. Like, you don't have to make it all up. And then just end with gratitude. It's as simple as end with, thank you for hearing my prayers in Jesus' name. It's not a reminder to God that he needs to hear you. It's a reminder to you that he does. I remember Pastor Jack Hayford, who just passed away recently, um, was an amazing pastor, an amazing man of God. He said, once in a class I took with him, he said, I have made it a habit to not go to bed unless I read at least one verse. So Bible's on the side of the bed, right? Or your phone is charging. And, and I, I've tried to make it a habit to read a verse before I fall asleep because it's the last thing I want on my mind. And I try to read a verse when I wake up. You know, we get in our heads like, you gotta read chapters and you just gotta keep reading. Or, or just start with one verse at a time. Don't go to sleep unless you've read a verse today. And preaching doesn't count. Listening to somebody else read a verse. Read it for yourself. Make it a habit. We, we define Judaism, in Judaism, we define prayer as speak to me and God will listen because prayer doesn't change God, it changes you. And you have to find your own way and there's different seasons in our prayer lives. There's different things that have to change. But whatever you do, remember to teach, speak, bind and write. And if you pray with adoration, petition and gratitude, your prayer life will become more vibrant. If you can't remember any of that, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for who you are. God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. We thank you for who you've called us to be. I pray for all the individual needs in this room and for the corporate needs of this church. Lord, would you bind people together in prayer? Lord, would you remind us that you hear our prayers and we thank you that you hear our prayers even 
when we don't feel like you're listening. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before I go, I want to, we're going to stop the music because I won't be able to sing. But the, we end with, uh, in my tradition, we end with the ironic benediction, which is the benediction that Aaron, as the high priest, God commanded him to say over the people. And so I'd like to bless you with those words as well. You say, I don't know. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast, Chew on That. The Chew on That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week. Thank you.